0: What is up, Next Level fam? Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Health Explained. I'm your host, Alexis Smith, and today we'll be discussing pediatric ear infections. I have provider lead and nurse practitioner, Lene Gordon, back with me today. This time Lene will be talking to us about another common pediatric issue. That is ear infections. Thank you so much for being with me today, Lene.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: Absolutely. So firstly, what exactly is an ear infection?
1: Yeah, so sometimes you'll hear the the lingo otitis media, and that is what we call uh, the ear infection. And what that means is it's an infection behind the eardrum, not in the ear canal. So I just wanted to differentiate that. If it's in the ear canal, we call that otitis externa, externally, so not on the inside. Um, And so these infections can be viral, but they can also be bacterial. Um, And so that's basically what an ear infection is. It's fluid trapped behind the eardrum from some reason or another.
0: Got it. Are there certain risk factors that make children more susceptible to ear infections?
1: We do commonly see it more in boys uh, between 6 and 18 months. Um, if there's a family history of ear infections, that's a risk factor, daycare attendance, lack of breastfeeding, uh, tobacco smoke exposure, pacifier use, um, and then like if there's an underlying immune system, we can see it. Sometimes it's just genetics. However, they were born, maybe the eustachian tube is positioned a different way or it's just a little bit smaller, uh, but those are the most common risk factors that we see. Okay.
0: And why exactly do ear infections happen?
1: Well, our middle ear, which is behind the eardrum, is connected to the nasal passages by the eustachian tube. And so typically what we'll see is a recent upper respiratory infection or allergies. Um, Both of them will make mucus and that can fall into the eustachian tube and cause some irritation to that tube and that swells. And so that mucus will get trapped in the inner ear and it can cause an infection. Um, I usually explain it that the longer the mucus stays in a nice warm environment, it can grow bacteria. So frequently we'll see this start as just allergies or viral and then it can turn bacterial.
0: Lovely. Um, (laughs) What are some signs of ear infections, especially in our non-vocal kiddos like our our, um, little babies?
1: Most frequently, I hear parents say that they're just really fussy, they're crying a lot, they're very irritable, they may or may not have a fever, um, really restless sleep, uh, difficulty feeding um, as they lay down, like many parents will rock or hold babies um, in the horizontal position and then give them a bottle or breast, whatever it is. But being in that position will allow the fluid to cause pressure on that inner eardrum. And then every suck that they take of their bottle will cause increased pain. So then they just stop eating and just start crying. Uh, Sometimes you'll see vomiting. And then if they're old enough, they'll just complain of ear pain or ear tugging where you see them just constantly messing with their earlobe.
0: Got it. If you're trying to diagnose an ear infection at home and happen to have an ear scope on hand, what exactly would you be looking for?
1: If you wanted to get textbook technical, it's mm-hmm. it's there's so many things to look for. But I think the easiest thing to know that you're looking for is the eardrum is going to be bright red and bulging. And you may even see fluid behind that eardrum. It may look yellow like there's pus. Okay. Uh, you can see fluid bubbles. Um, sometimes it's honestly a little bit hard but the other thing is, you have to match this red eardrum with symptoms. Are they ear tugging? Do they have a fever? Have they had recent congestion or upper respiratory? Um, If you don't have an otoscope at home and you're interested as a mom, Amazon makes a really great one that I have. It's called Dr. Mom's Otoscope and it's around $30. And on the inside of that, they actually have pictures of what you're looking for. It'll give you a picture of a normal eardrum, a ruptured eardrum, and then the bright red bulging infection. Um, But to be honest, even that can be difficult for me at home. And I look at ears every single day, but it's different when I'm trying to hold my own kiddo down and the lighting's Mm -hmm. not great and my husband's not able to help help me. And so at that point, I even defer to the pediatrician where I can help him hold and then he can take a look. Uh, But nonetheless, you're looking for a really bright red bulging eardrum with all the other symptoms of an ear infection.
0: Okay. So you're talking about, um, you know, ear infection specific symptoms. Are there any reasons aside from an ear infection that uh, a child's ear might be red?
1: Well, interestingly, crying causes it to be red. And so it can be very tricky because of course your kid's going to be crying if they're in pain or if they don't like being held down with something put in their ear. Mm. Uh, But what we don't see is the bulging or the pus or the fluid. Um, And then also, just so you know, after an infection, kiddos can keep fluid behind their ear uh, for a good three months. Um, And so you'll see just the fluid bubbles or even maybe that yellow discoloration. And that's normal. That just takes a while to go away. But what should go away with that is the bulging aspect or the red aspect.
0: Okay. How can I comfort my very uncomfortable child with an ear infection?
1: Unfortunately, it's really just ibuprofen if they're over six months old or the Tylenol um, as instructed on the bottle or, at you know, as your doctor helps with their weight. Um, I would avoid putting anything in the ear we used to have a drop called aragon uh, and it's been discontinued and it had a, a numbing aspect that a lot, a lot of parents remember hearing about and so sometimes i'll still have parents come in saying don't you have a drop for pain mm-hmm. uh, we don't anymore and uh, that's it, it's unfortunate but i do i have read on google that people are putting olive oil and other types of remedies in the ear I advise to not do that because the problem is if we have an inner ear infection and the pressure builds to the point where the eardrum ruptures, you may or may not know that, but if it's ruptured, there's a hole in that eardrum and the olive oil or whatever you decide to put in there can go through that hole and into the middle ear and cause some damage to the hearing. Uh, wow. So I wouldn't put anything in that ear. I wouldn't soak them in water like in the bathtub. Don't let them go underwater. Uh, just ibuprofen and Tylenol. I think that what we need to keep in mind is if this is bacterial in nature and they need antibiotics, once they start those, it takes about 48 hours for them to kick in. And then as the bacteria dies off, the pain will lessen because inflammation will start going down. So so really, I would just rotate Tylenol and ibuprofen until the antibiotics kick in. If it's viral, then they, they kind of peak around day four to five, sometimes even less than that. Um, and really, it's just giving them a lot of love and being kind of understanding that they may not want to eat a whole lot. They may not want to drink a whole lot. You just have to do your best.
0: Yeah. So if ear infections can be viral or bacterial, how can you tell the difference?
1: You're going to be so surprised to hear this, but we don't know. We honestly <laughs> do not know. And I think that no one is willing to admit that. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you're an ENT and you can pull the fluid off from behind that eardrum and test it in a lab and culture it, sure, we, we could determine is this viral or is this bacterial. We, we basically go through algorithms based on age and symptoms, um, but... To be honest, whether I see a bright red bulging eardrum in a two-year-old or a six-month-old, um, I can't guarantee 100% whether that's viral or bacterial. So okay. we're just doing our best guess based on all of the literature out there, all of the research that's out there, and we treat according to evidence-based practice. Okay.
0: So is there any point in which you would prescribe antibiotics for that kind of um, ear infection?
1: Yeah. So there's some basic guidelines. Um, if you are under two years old and you see a bright red bulging eardrum, you're getting antibiotics simply because of age and risk. Um, there are certain bacterias that will inhabit the, the inner ear and under two that could be harmful. And they, you know, worst case scenario, if untreated, could turn into like a meningitis. And so if you're under two, we treat. Um, but things can get a little hairy when you are over two years old. And what I mean by that is you'll have some providers that will do a watch and wait and some providers that will just go ahead and prescribe when, again, at that age, it's usually probably viral if it's within the first seven days. And so a lot of ear infections will clear on their own within seven days. So if you're over two and you're a mom or dad that doesn't prefer antibiotics up front, I think it's fair to ask the provider if it's absolutely necessary, Um, as long as the child doesn't look toxic, which is up to us to decide, um, and their ear pain has been, you know, give or take two days or less, their fever hasn't gone over 102, um, you know, we, we can safely watch and wait these kids and see what happens in the next 48 to 72 hours. Sometimes we also have something called SNAP, and that stands for Safety Net Antibiotic Prescription. And so basically, I give you a prescription for amoxicillin or whatever fits best for your kid. You hold on to it, you don't feel it yet, but if they're not improving in two to three days, then you can go ahead and start it. And that helps a lot of parents feel comfortable with the ability to watch and wait and not feel so disconnected from the option to treat if it got worse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if the kid comes in and they're really lousy and lethargic and not looking well, um, their fever is very high, both ears are infected, or they already have a low immune system or on chemo or have no access to follow up with a pediatrician, then we can treat with the antibiotic and that's still within evidence-based guidelines. So you've got some options if they're over the age of two.
0: Got it. Yeah. And I love that you kind of touched on that watch and wait method. I know um, Dr. Judy did a great episode in which he sort of talked about um, overuse of antibiotics. And I know that um, thankfully uh, the public is starting to educate themselves a little bit more on overuse of antibiotics and the dangers associated with it. Um, But um, for sure, I think that best practices are always to listen to your medical provider. Um, They... They are there to do what is right for you and your child. Um, and if you ever do have any questions as parents, please ask them. Um, I know yeah, Linnea is certainly <laughs> very happy to answer and sit with you and educate um, as as much as you want. Um, we want you to feel comfortable, you know, walking out um, at, because it's your kid, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And I think that all we have to do is just educate on why. I mean, some parents, you know, really stick to their gut about, what the kids needs, but I still find it my duty to educate because I don't know that everyone that they've seen prior to me has done that. And so the more we share about antibiotic resistance, the more we share about evidence-based practice, then hopefully it builds up slowly and, and parents start turning the corner to trusting the providers again.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much again for being here today, Lene. Always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, We look forward to uh, seeing you on episodes in the future.
1: All right. Thank you so much.